Everybody doing all right? Good, good. I, I'm, I am thrilled, too, to uh, be able to be here and to be able to uh, share with you guys today and to wrap up our series. If you've missed any of our series, you can go to our website, which is redemptionaz.com, and then select uh, Gilbert as your congregation, and you'll see a place there where you can see. And, and we, we've talked about um, joy, and we've talked about peace, and we've talked about glory, and today we end with hope. So really glad that you guys are here with us. One of the things that I've noticed as I've uh, gotten a little bit older and now I have kids and I'm trying to help them get ready for Christmas is that uh, Christmas has kind of moved from what used to be anticipation into anxiety. So it's, it's, we seem to kind of go from anticipating Christmas to agonizing over Christmas. So for my kids, if I tell them, hey, Christmas is in three days, they have a radically different expression on their face than some of you do right now. I just made some of you really nervous that it's, that it's in three days. And, 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 it's, and I think it kind of builds up. I'm, I'm, my neighbor, like, um, Thanksgiving afternoon is putting lights on his house. And I was like, man, just let it breathe, you know? Just please give me, give me a break. And, you know, of course, my wife's like, they're putting lights up. Look, they've got a, they've got a wreath up, honey. Don't we, don't we want to do something like that? I'm like, oh, man. I guess. But so there's just kind of all that like tension that's, that's around it in there. But I, I, I loved Christmas as a, as a kid, you know, and, and maybe you're watching your kids kind of go through all that now. So they get all excited when the tree goes up and then the decorations and then the cookies start rolling in. And then, you know, they're secretly kind of trying to find that stash of presents. Anybody here, you do that? You were one of those like kind of sneaker people. It's okay now. You can, you can, admit to it in church, it's all right. But, you know, and, and then Christmas morning is the best when you, you, your eyes are all crusty, but you go in there and you're looking under the tree and you're looking for that one, like, uniquely shaped present, you know, like, did they get the thing that I asked for? You know, that, that looks like a sweater, that's not it, that's probably a book, I don't want that. You know, and you're looking for that unique, you know, kind of shaped present. And, and I think at a very basic and elementary level, this was our experience of hope. Hope, this is a pretty simple definition, but hope is waiting with great anticipation and confident expectation. Hope is waiting, and we don't like that word. Hope is waiting with great anticipation and confident expectation. I think that's hope in its kind of purest, simplest form. But sadly, hope, along with these other things that we've been talking about, has been hijacked at Christmas because there are different items or, or things that are being held up to say, okay, you need to wait out for this. And then once you get it, you'll be satisfied. And we've all kind of suffered that Christmas kind of hangover thing where we get the thing that we were waiting for, we were anticipating, we finally get it only to find out, well, that wasn't it. Or it breaks in, you know, the first hour that you have it. And, 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 or you could be here and you're just tired of waiting. I talk about waiting and you just say, yeah, I, the hope part, the waiting part is what wears me out. I mean, that's our, we don't like waiting in our society. We're a pretty instant society, right? And, and, and in fact, one of the worst places on the planet is the waiting room right? Maybe the DMV, right? This is a close second. But the waiting room, because the room is, has waiting in the title, so you have no other option but to just sit there and wait. You know, you're kind of looking around the room. You're like, I hope I don't have what they have. I hope I don't get what they have, right? But this season, this Advent season is, is, is all about waiting. It's expectation, but it's also celebrating that Christ has come, but it's expecting that he's going to come again. And it's looking forward to the promise of God, not the, so we don't get bogged down in three days of crazy or two weeks or two months of crazy, but a whole world of crazy. And we celebrate the season because in the midst of all the craziness and despair and hopelessness, there's a hope and an expectation of something far greater than what the world wants to tell us that life is all about. That's why we celebrate this season.
And the reality is here that there are um, all kinds of people waiting. We don't really like to talk about that. We don't like to broadcast that because it makes us seem desperate. But, but there's a lot of waiting. There's, there's kids here in the room, and there's kids over in the, in the building right across the courtyard. They're waiting for their parents to get back together. And you try to explain to them, like, look, you don't understand. It's really complicated because, you know, they're just him and her. And it's just don't, don't get it. And the kids are like, yeah, I'm just a kid. I'm just waiting for you to love each other. For some of you, Christmas is a very stressful time because you've been waiting for a job. And this time, when there's this expectation of giving and gifts and all of that stuff, it just adds to the stress that you're already under because you've been waiting for the phone call, you're waiting for the email, you're waiting for the interview, you're waiting for the second interview, you're waiting for a job. That's a reality here today. There's people waiting for that. You could be here today and you're waiting for a husband or a wife. We really don't like to put that out there because you don't want to be the person that's like, hey, they're not dating just to have fun. They're dating to get married. So if you go over there, just be careful because that's what they're after, right? But, I mean, what is so wrong with waiting for the person that God has for you to spend the rest of your life? Are you waiting for a husband or a wife? I was actually kind of hoping people would just shout out for that and I could just kind of point across the room. And, and then afterwards, you could just be like, hey, just meet them up front. Merry Christmas. There's all kinds of waiting happening here today. There, there, there's some of you, you are, you're waiting for a spouse to come back, to come home. Or you're waiting for a son or daughter to come home or a son or daughter who's walked away from the faith and now it's just tearing you up and you're praying for them. You're waiting for that. You're longing for that. Some of you, you're waiting for a baby and you've, you've gone to the doctor and you've had the test and you've heard the reports and you're just kind of trying and you're waiting. Or maybe you're involved in foster care and adoption like Tim was talking about and you're waiting for that. You're waiting for the paperwork to come through. You're waiting for the appointments. And you're waiting for just who God would bring to your home. There's people in here, you're waiting for rehab to work. You're waiting for release for something that has enslaved you for years. There's real waiting happening this morning. But that's what this season is all about. That's what Christmas is about. It's about waiting. It's about 400 years of silence being broken by the cry of a baby. It's about thousands of years of promise being fulfilled in the gift and person of Jesus Christ. It's about prophecy and generations and expectation and hope that the Messiah would come and he came. It's, that's what Christmas is about. It's about God fulfilling his promise in the most crazy backwards way because that's how grace always seems to work. It's about an unwed mother in a cave out of town at midnight giving birth earth to the son of the living God under a cloud of scandal. It's about God who breaks into our average, mundane, run-of-the-mill life and says, don't stop hoping because I always come through. Christmas is about God keeping a promise that looked like it was impossible to keep. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put the verses on the screen for you. If you don't own one at all, we'd love to give you one today. Uh, we just ask that after the service, you'd go across the courtyard into the commons and um, tell them that you need a Bible, and that way you can take it home, uh, read it for yourself, so we don't have to read it to you every week, and bring it with you, and you can kind of track with us. Um, 
There's a little bit of a challenge with the story and these kind of familiar passages, uh, especially if you've been around for a little while, that this is something that would be pretty familiar to you. So I'm going to attempt to tell this story in a way um, that maybe helps to keep it fresh or maybe so we can see something new that we've never seen before. But, but that's just not on me. Uh, that's on the Spirit of God working in our midst this morning. So I'm going to pray. and I'm going to ask that you pray along with me and uh, ask God to help us to see something fresh from uh, a story maybe that we've heard a bunch. So would you guys just pray with me? God, thank you for your word this morning. God, thank you for um, just these different ways that we can know you and, and God, hear from you. God, your word, uh, it says that it's, it's life and it's bread and it uh, sustains us. And so, um, God, we just pray today that we would be filled and satisfied by you. God, I'm always aware of the obstacle that I can create in this moment. And so, God, I pray that um, you would protect me and, God, protect us from um, distraction. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate and bring to life the scripture? And so, God, this would not just be a story that happened a long time ago, um, but, God, that it would be truth that you breathe over us and into us this morning. God, I pray for your help, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to look at the story in Luke chapter 1, and then there's four statements I want to make in just a moment about waiting, and uh, one of them is kind of an application as well, too. So Luke chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 5. Again, the text up on the screen. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. Already some of you are like, that's why I don't read the Bible, man, because look at all those words, right? So don't get caught up on that. We're going to talk about those in a second. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So we're going to open the story. If this helps you clear it up a little bit, we're going to open the story of Zach and Beth, and they're a couple who in the ministry. He's from a priestly line, and so is his wife. And Zechariah is uh, a member of one of the 24 priestly divisions that God had set up, and his is the division of Abijah. Verse 6, And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Verse 7, But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So Luke believes, the author believes, that it's important for us to know one additional fact about this couple. That they were righteous and without blame, which means that they obeyed the commandments of the Lord. They were faithful to uh, his statutes and faithful to what he said. But, but in spite of this, there's this disconnect. Elizabeth, his wife, is, is barren. And in that time, they didn't have all the tests that we have now. And so they always just assumed that it was the woman's issue, not the man's issue. And at that time, it was culturally thought that if you did not have children, that it was God showing his displeasure or his disgrace on you. And, and so... We start the story with Zechariah and Elizabeth, and there's this tension, right? And maybe it's a tension that you feel here. So, God, we love you. We're following you. We want to honor you. But at the same time, why? Why are we going through this? What did we do? Or why have you not allowed this thing that we've asked for to happen, or, or even why did you allow this thing we would have never asked for to happen? And I love that these types of stories are in the scriptures because that's real life. That tension is in this room this morning. I gotta love you. I'm, I'm following after you. I have a heart for you. But why? 
and, and it kind of breaks up the mold, right? Like if you, if you do all the right things, if you're from the right family, if you do everything that you're supposed to, everything's going to work out. Well, it wasn't working out for them. Verse 8. And now when he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot, kind of like a lottery system, to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So Zechariah draws the third lot, which means he has kind of this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to enter the sanctuary, into the temple there, and burn incense. And in the tent of meeting, which was just before the Holy of Holies, there was an altar of incense, and the priest would come in morning, and then he'd come in in the evening, Sabbath to Sabbath, and he would burn this incense just outside the veil, just outside the Holy of Holies. Kind of an interesting side note there. One of the things that he would mix in with the incense that he was burning was frankincense. So frankincense, remember, is one of the things that the Magi brought to Jesus. So just think about that. For, so for centuries, burning outside of the presence of God was this frankincense. And and he's inside the holy place serving God before the table of incense. The people, the multitudes are outside praying. So you get this picture here. Zechariah is doing symbolically what the people are doing in reality. Verse 11, there appeared to him, while he's serving, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. There's a lot of places, I think, sometimes in the scripture where it's a little understated. And I think this is, this is one of them. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. So you got to get the fear of this. You got to get the story here. So he's in there and, and just beyond where he was, the, the, the priest once a year, the high priest would go in on a day of atonement to make sacrifice for the people. And, and he would have a rope tied around his leg in case he was in there and he did something that he wasn't supposed to do and he could be struck dead and, and they'd have to kind of drag him out. So here's Zechariah, he's burning the incense, he's smoking the thing and he got it all real good. And then bam, angel shows up and he's thinking, I wish I had a rope because I'm about to go down. And so you got to understand the fear and the tension in this moment because he, he could die. Verse, verse 13, and the angel said to him, this is kind of what angels always say when they show up on planet earth. It's kind of like their standard line. He says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. And the next phrase is kind of, I think, just a, a kind of a linchpin for this, for this story. And if you're a, a highlighter, underliner person, this would be one that you want to highlight or underline. And, and I love this. He says, for your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. And if I'm Zachariah, I was like, man, you got to show up and tell me this way. I mean, an email or a text probably would have worked. I'm already in here. I'm on the edge as it is. And you got to show up out of nowhere. And the angel says, your prayer has been heard. Sometimes we would just like just that little confirmation, wouldn't we? On my phone, I can send an email from my phone. And when I send it, it makes this little noise that goes like, and I can tell, like, if somebody actually received it. Wouldn't you like God to just whisper sometimes, your prayer has been heard. So God Almighty breaks in, a pretty bold presentation. He sends Gabriel, and Gabriel says, your wife, Elizabeth, just so you know I got the right person here, will bear you a son. A son, a child would have been off the charts. Son, favor of God. I love that. I love that about how God blesses his people because it's always lavish. It's always extravagant. It's always over the top. And he says, he says, you will call him 
John. So a lot of things getting taken care of here. You're going to have a son, paint the room blue. His name's John. Go ahead, send the stuff to Pottery Barn Kids. Get it monogrammed all the way. Verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Little kind of side lesson here. When, when God breaks into your world with a miracle, he's always thinking about somebody else besides you. So if God's blessed you in kind of an extraordinary way, he's always thinking about somebody besides you. That what I, one of the things that I love about this church is that there are, there are people here who get this, like, to the nth degree. And God has, God has blessed you, maybe through, through talent or uh, resources or finances or any of those things, and you just get it. You're like, I've been blessed to be a, a blessing. And the leadership here gets it, and I, lo- I love that as well. But when God breaks into your world with a miracle, he's always thinking about somebody else besides you. And that's how you know that God has broken in with a miracle, because it's not just contained to your thinking. It's for the benefit of the whole world. Verse 15 kind of rattles our theology a little bit because he says he'll be great before the Lord and you must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from the mother's womb. You say, well, there hasn't been a day of Pentecost, tongues of fire or any of that kind of stuff. That, that doesn't sound like it can be right because he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit at birth. Uh, but it is right because it's God's plan and God's working. That's how God does this. And in verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of an Elijah. And, and that might not mean anything to you, but to Zechariah, Elijah, that spiritual hero, that's a, that, that, that's a, that's a one man who spoke for the power of the living God before 450 voices who said, yeah, no, your God is, your God is dead. And so he said, Elijah, that's great. He's, he's loving that. Verse 17, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife is gonna have a son and your son is going to prepare the way for the son of God. So take a time out in the story here and just put yourself in, in their sandals. So here's this couple. They've been waiting for something forever. And they just prayed through their 20s, prayed through their 30s, prayed through the 40s. And then they start to think, well, I guess it could still happen. Prayed through the 50s. I don't know if I want it to happen now. <laughs> Get into their 60s, and you just start to think, I don't know if it's going to happen. This thing we've been praying for forever, I don't think, it, I don't think it's going to happen. And then an angel shows up and said, that thing that you've been praying for is going to happen. It's going to be about a billion times better than you thought it would ever be. Merry Christmas. Verse 18, things are going pretty good for Zechariah up until this point. The angel said, because Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. This is how you know he's been married for a long time, how he says this. And my wife is advanced in years, right? (laughs) So he wouldn't say, she's old, she's advanced in, in years. You know, if we get down to the original language here, the, the thought is Zechariah saying, I don't think this can happen. And there's been times in our lives, too, where we, we maybe get confirmation that our prayer has been heard, and it starts to look like the thing we've been praying for forever is actually going to happen. But there's a part of us, kind of in the back of our mind, that says, I still don't think it's going to happen. 
And I understand the situation. I mean, he's on edge. You've got to get just the tension of here. And this angel breaks in and, and tells him out of nowhere this incredible, truly unbelievable news. It's somewhat understandable. But I love how it gets answered in verse 19. I, lo- I love the answer here. The angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel. In other words, I'm sorry I didn't take the time to introduce myself, and I'm not wearing my name tag today. I just came from the presence of God. I thought that actually might be enough for you. You ever meet anybody, and they tell you what they do, and then your respect for them like automatically goes up, and you're like, hey, I'm Phil. I'm an astrophysicist. You're like, whoa, man. That's how Gabriel introduced himself. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. That's what I've always done. That's what I do. You burn the incense, that's great. I'm happy for you. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you, to bring you this good news. Verse 20. And behold, you'll be silent, and I'm unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which would be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach or my disgrace or my embarrassment among the people. So imagine again for a second that you're Zechariah and you're coming out of the temple to the people. All of history is leaning to this moment. You're chosen for the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to burn the incense and you're in there. And this angel shows up and gives you the news that not only you've been waiting for and that you've been praying for, but the nation for centuries has been waiting for. And all of history sends you to this moment and you come out and you can't even talk. When we fail to trust God in his plans, we lose our voice to tell the world of the hope that he is bringing. When we fail to trust God and his sovereign plan, we lose our voice to tell the world of the hope that he is bringing. Later on in chapter one, we see that Elizabeth has a child, and on the eighth day, it's time to give the child a name. And she says to everybody around, she said, his name is going to be John. And the people that are standing around said, you're going to have to check with your husband on that because uh, that's just not what we do. We're going to name him Zachariah Jr. or something. That's just kind of, John's not a family name, so you better, you better ask him. You better check with him. Zachariah motions for something to write with, and they hand him a tablet. And he writes down, his name is, not will be, His name is John. And the scripture says immediately his tongue was loose and he began to speak. And I'll bet old boy did begin to speak. He's sitting there and saying, hello, hello, I'm talking now, I'm talking now. So I'm in there, I'm in there and I'm burning the stuff and I got it going really good and the room's filled with smoke. And then out of nowhere, bam, right from the presence of God, Gabriel shows in, the Gabriel. And he says to me, your prayer has been heard. My prayer? Yeah, my prayer. My prayer has been heard. And and, and it's coming and you're going to have a son and he's going to prepare the way for the son of the living God. And all the waiting and waiting and waiting and praying and praying and praying and longing and longing and longing. It's come. God has heard our prayer. We're going to have a son. My son, John, is here. Everyone's like, that's a lot, bro. That's a lot to put on the birth announcement. We normally just we'll put like the size and the weight, maybe the footprints on there. He says, I wish I could have told you sooner. 
didn't believe him, he shut my mouth. And for all these months, I couldn't tell the world what God was going to do. Everybody in here is waiting. And, and I don't know how God is working. And I cannot stand up here and just tell you that, hey, Christmas Eve, you need to make sure you pick one of those services and be here because God's going to tie everything up for you and, it's, and God's just going to fix everything you've been waiting on. But I do know that God is, is working all through Scripture. We see that our God is a God with work gloves on. And he's restoring and he's reconciling. He's putting broken things back together. And there's a day coming where he's going to say to you, your prayer has been heard. And we have got to embrace the possibility of that. There's an author, his name is A.W. Tozer, and he says this, if God has done it any time, he can do it now. And if he's done it anywhere, he can do it here. And if God's ever done it for anybody, he can do it for you. We have to embrace that Jesus Christ, the promise of God, broke into the world to be a, a ransom, to pay a penalty for our sin, our rebellion against him. Born to give his life up for us because we are loved by God. There are four things that we see about waiting as we close here. Four things that we see about waiting. The first is this. Waiting is not wasted because God is working in the waiting. Let me say that again. Waiting is not wasted because God is working in the waiting. There's a question that every one of us at some point in our life will ask, and the question is, God, why don't you do something about that? And you don't have to think very hard about what that is. For some of you, that is sitting next to you this morning. You say, God, why don't you do something about that? And the answer is, your prayer has been heard. Because your waiting is not wasted because I am working in the waiting. All those centuries of silence, God was working his plan out so that it could show up in the most incredible way. The second thing that we see is that waiting is worship. Waiting is worship. Verse 6 of chapter 1 is not just a throwaway verse. It's an intentional verse that the author put in there to talk about the faithfulness of Zechariah and Elizabeth and how they obeyed. And you have to imagine that there were people in their lives, and maybe the same kind of people are in your life, these, these detractors, these, these haters who would just say, really, you're going to the temple again? Really, all those commandments can't? You know, we haven't heard from God for, for a long time for a reason. You're, you're still, you're still going to live that way? You're still going to honor God? You're still going to love God? You're still going to follow God? Why don't you just quit? And those voices are in your life too. But they were faithful. They continued a lifestyle of worship. They didn't just wait until they got the confirmation, hey, the thing you've been praying for forever, it's finally going to show up. They worshiped before any of that. And they obeyed God. Waiting is worship. The third thing we see, and this to me personally is um, one of the most encouraging. And the third thing we see about waiting is that we don't wait alone. Whatever you're waiting for today, Christ is waiting with you. So when we said that Zechariah is from the division of Abijah, and we don't just kind of fly over that name and be like, Abijah, that's an interesting name. Next. We, we look at that, and Abijah is a name that means my father is Yahweh. 
It's a family name that means my dad is I am that I am. And that's how you wait, Christian. That's how you wait as a son or a daughter of I am. And you are in a line of faith and your father is I am that I am. So you are waiting with God, not just waiting on God. When, when God shows up and when Isaiah is talking about God showing up, he could have used any name for God, but he uses this name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love that. There's people on this planet who don't want to be with me, but God, the maker of the universe, the one who holds it all together, is with me, Emmanuel, God with us. You are not waiting alone. If you're here and you're waiting on a husband, you are not waiting alone. You're like, I know, my parents remind me that all the time. God is with us. When we wait, we do not wait alone. And then lastly, who's waiting on you? Because you might be here today and you're like, you know, this really actually does not apply to me, what you're talking about, because I'm not really waiting for anything. I got, you know, my job is good, my house is good, stuff is going good with the family. I, I, you know, I'm not really fasting for anything, not really waiting for anything. Well, the question to you this morning is, who is waiting on you? Who's waiting for you to, to come home? Who, who's waiting for you to lay down the pride and the selfishness? Who's waiting for you to ask for forgiveness? Who's been bringing you to this Advent series? Who's been bringing you to this church, talking to you about Jesus, talking about the hope and the joy and the peace that you find in him? Who's waiting on you? Who's waiting for you to bring the message of hope? So who in this season, what, what neighbor, what coworker, what family member, what friend, who's waiting for you to proclaim the message of hope that's found in Jesus Christ? I, when, I, when I wrote that, I had to do kind of like a little personal inventory, you know, thinking about the things that I broadcast and just the absolute nonsense that I put out there. Not, I mean, Facebook and Twitter and kind of all that stuff, but also just the things that I talk about. But who's waiting for me? Who's waiting for me to proclaim the message of hope? We're doing this Christmas Eve offering. I mean, what... What families are waiting for you to give to this adoption and foster care initiative? Ethiopia Church is waiting for us. Thousands of kids in the streets of Addis Ababa are waiting for us this season. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Peter had to put that last part in there for some of us. I remember hearing Tom talk about this first once. He said, you know, you have to give somebody a reason to ask you about the hope that's in you. Do you look like you have hope? Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. What an incredible phrase that is, overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in your life, as you're out there, as you're walking around, do you overflow with hope? In spite of your circumstances, in spite of your situation, in spite of your anticipation and longing and waiting, do you overflow with hope? In Hebrews 3, 6, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. I love this. And we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Church, we are a house of hope. Do you ever think about that? Do you think about that when you walk in here? I'm walking into the house of hope. 
I'm going to be with a people. We're, we, are, we are the house of hope. You know, a lot of us, when we think about church, we, we think about the top 10 ways that I can make Redemption Gilbert better for me, right? And everybody's got your list. So like, well, you need to change the sound or the music or the, you know, whatever, the carpet, the chairs aren't right. I'm kind of, you know, get different people up there. Like we all got our top 10 ways that we can make Redemption Gilbert better for us. How about the top 10 ways that we can make Redemption Gilbert better for them? For the hopeless. As this season comes to come around and you know, New Year's, we're always kind of thinking about things that we do. Let me ask you a couple questions. Do you treat this as a service to attend or a mission to join? And if you say, well, it's a mission to join, a mission of hope to the, a world that's hopeless, well, are you giving to that mission? Are you serving th- that mission? Are you connected relationally to that mission of taking hope to a world that's hopeless? It's, and, and don't just kind of leave and say, man, I'm glad that guy only preaches every once in a while. Like, ask God, like, just to, to really kind of let that sink in and press on your heart and ask God to lead you in, in that. We sang a song when we started um, that was uh, written by a French poet, Oh Holy Night, and I, there's a phrase in there that I just absolutely love. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, and pining is a word that we don't use very much, but it means waiting, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Man, you remember that moment where God appeared to you and your soul felt its worth? And then I love this phrase, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. What an incredible picture for us who follow Jesus of just that moment when, when the dawn broke through the darkness in our life and the thrill of hope that we had in him. Christmas is a reminder that our hope is not in vain that are waiting, that are longing, that are agonizing, and all those things are real in this room tonight, but it's not in vain because God keeps his promises even when it looks like his promises are impossible to keep. Romans 4.18 talks about Abraham. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them. So are you, right? Abraham was promised something that looked like it was never going to happen. And in Romans 4, Paul says about him, he said, he hoped against hope. Hoped in spite of hope. Hope when there was no hope. That's us. The Christmas message, J.I. Packer says this, and with this I close. The Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity. Hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory. Because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 33 years later he might hang on a cross. We're going to celebrate communion, which gives us a very tangible reminder of this. And when we think about hope, and when we've talked about joy, and we've talked about peace and glory, these are not just concepts, or these are not just ideas or words that we just throw out there. It's a person, and that person's name is Jesus Jesus is hope. He is joy. He is peace. He is glory. So God in flesh and blood walking among us. God with us. Physically with us. The communion is a way that we remember tangibly his body 
and his blood. In just a moment, the guys are going to pass a couple elements. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then these items are extremely significant to us. The bread does. It helps us remember the body of Jesus that was mocked, beat, spit on, eventually shredded and hung on a cross for our rebellion, our sin. And the cup reminds us of his blood, that precious blood, life-giving, atoning blood. If you're here, and we've been saying this for a couple weeks now, but if, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, um, we want to just speak this freedom to you. You don't have to take these. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to pretend like you're connected to this. That's just some kind of religious exercise. It won't do you any good. But in this moment, we want you to make use of this moment, not just let it pass you by. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to, we invite you to wrestle with everything that you heard this morning. We invite you to engage with God and just say to him, Go, okay, God, there are moments in my life where I am hopeless. Are you really hope? Do you really hear me? Are you really there? And then you just wait in silence and you wait, God, and as he moves in your heart, to come to him in repentance and faith. And if that's you this morning, we want to invite you to have a conversation with us up here and we'd love to just work through that with you and tell you how much we love you and just kind of walk alongside you as, as you're with that. But for Christian, for those of us in this moment, this is a very tangible reminder, a reminder of the person, the person of joy, the person of peace, the person of glory, the person of hope, the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me pray and the elements will come. Father God, thank you for your word this morning. And God, thank you for, um, God, thank you for hope. God, thank you for just the, the positive expectation that we have of you intervening in our life. And God, the, the positive experience that we've had of you already intervening in our life. And God, now as we take communion, God, we remember quite vividly um, just the price that you paid so that you could be with us and so that we could be with you. And God, I pray today for the person who's in this room, God, and we talk about hope, and they just, they really are struggling with that. And so God, would you breathe hope where there is hopelessness? God, we love you. It's in your name we pray.